what's up everyone and welcome to the podcast today i'm your host matt guest with me out in las vegas is matt morris what is up man you made it you survived super bowl week is over in vegas and wow what a super bowl we had what a week for football what a week for the city of las vegas man yeah it was um it was awesome and the narrative that i had been pushing up until the super bowl was you know we'll see how it goes i believe the super bowl should be here here every year and honestly it didn't change my opinion on that at all it went very smoothly traffic honestly wasn't as bad as i anticipated going into sunday i didn't have to work on sunday so i did not go down in the strip area at all because i'm not crazy um but from an overall revenue perspective the city capitalized and i kind of like looked ahead to just see where we're having the super bowl next year because i was curious and it's new orleans and the first thought came to mind which is there's absolutely no way you can economically capitalize as successfully as Las Vegas did. And I'm just, I'm very happy for the city. I'm happy that we got the most televised game in history. I'm happy that it was a close game. It was a great game. And, you know, we have some posts coming out this week, but it was an interesting game too, because I think we started to really see the shift in the way the NFL is choosing to market itself. We're seeing the gambling kind of brought into the fold now, especially with it being here in Las Vegas. We're seeing the pop culture element with Taylor Swift being on the screen, what was maybe every two to five minutes of the Super Bowl. And I think that's good in a lot of aspects for the game because you are opening the door to different eyes, to different fans, to different markets. But I am curious how it ultimately affects some of the longevity fans like ourselves who love the game for the game. And, and it seems as though money may be changing the narrative of the NFL. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a, a good amount, man, and it's just the the gambling, right? And me more than you are into the uh, the gambling side of things. You know, I want to bet. It was nice, but like I'm betting in California, so I'm using all these sh- shitty DFS apps, right? So it doesn't feel as good as cashing a ticket in Vegas, right? Um, but I mean, it, it for legacy fans like us, we're just gonna have to embrace it or not at the end of the day, right? Gambling's not going anywhere. I think I was listening on the radio today and they were saying in the state of Nevada alone, correct me if I'm wrong, if you heard this out there too, I think it was $186 million wagered in Nevada alone on the Super Bowl, right? Like that's not all the other states that have legalized gambling. Uh, It's just a part of the game now, right? DraftKings, FanDuel, sponsor the NFL. They have ads all throughout the stadiums, all throughout, um, TV commercials and whatnot. So it's just a part of it. I have also accepted more or less the Taylor Swift stuff. Um, I think it's quite comical now that people are turning Travis Kelsey into a heel a little bit and like saying that he's obnoxious and all this. And it's like, that's how I know you actually haven't watched football that long (laughs) because I feel like we've talked about this on the pod and for sure one-on-one on the phone is like, that's just who Travis Kelsey's always been. Um, now he happens to be dating the most famous woman on the planet. You know what I mean? So like that, that's, that's Kelsey, you know, like that's, that's kind of a reason you and I have respected his game, but not personally liked him as a fan of football, um, because he's not on our team obviously. Right. But like, that's just kind of who he is. And I, I think it's a net positive for the game, for the revenue, for getting the Super Bowl back into events, into places like Vegas, like LA, in transitioning out of these legacy spots 
like New Orleans next year, right? New Orleans, great city, good party, so on and so forth. But when push comes to shove for all the elites that go into the Super Bowl and for all the people that show up to enjoy the game and the parties and afterwards, they're going to be in New Orleans excuse me, next year saying, damn, I wish we were in fucking Vegas because New Orleans just doesn't hold a candle to that party. I've never been, but I'm just making a fair assumption. I read a fantastic article this week in regards to the relationship the NFL had with Vegas, you know, coming into the 2020s and before the Raiders ultimately, you know, called Las Vegas home. And it was detailing a, a lengthy history with, you know, former commissioners ultimately thinking that it was in the NFL's best interest to steer as far away from Vegas as possible because they didn't want any assumption or any prejudice in regards of the fan base thinking there may be wagers or a possibility that games were rigged. And it was pretty incredible because it led all the way up to um, Vegas itself changing its marketing campaign to the what happens here stays here slogan we all now know now, which is you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But the actual marketing campaign, if I'm correct, which kicked off in 2004 was in fact what happens here stays here. And they had actually created a Super Bowl ad for that exact campaign launch to change the narrative of Vegas from a family-friendly town to let's get back to the adult spenders. And the NFL flat out told them absolutely not. And here we are 17 years later, you know, the Raiders coming to town and calling it their home. 19 years later, having the Super Bowl hosted in this city. And, you know, 2018 with the court case where we started to see certain states repeal that that sports gambling act and allowing gaming platforms to come in and do daily bets to do fantasy bets to, to ultimately come to where the world is now where if i'm correct i think it's 12 states only left that don't allow a, at least some kind of sports wagering and those numbers are are changing and it, we're seeing the nfl change as well and you're right i think ultimately cbs espn the nfl chose to leverage taylor swift that wasn't the player's choice. That was the product's choice. And we stand here and we have judgment, not necessarily you or I, but as as fans have judgment about the situation. And I just think to myself, if I'm a business, I'm going to do whatever I need to, to you know, open my markets to other markets, to capitalize on market share for a pop culture market. You know, this individual has what, 200 300 400 million fans. Something if I can get, She's on a world tour. Yeah. Like, come on. If I can get 1% of those fans, I've won and I've done my job. Now, CBS is the same thing, right? We have the rights to the Super Bowl. We have certain fans watching the Super Bowl because someone may be at the Super Bowl. It's in our best interest to show that person over and over and over because we know all the fans that have cemented themselves as NFL fans will stay and watch the game. And sure, they may be annoyed, but also we've kept that viewership of those select few, even if it is 1%. And we've grown our numbers. So it sucks, but this is just the way of business. It's just the way of business. And to your point about Vegas and the NFL being weary about bringing gambling and teams to Vegas, it's because look at where we are now. All over Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, wherever the hell you take in your social media, it's, oh, there was holding here and there was this. And it's obviously rigged because of that. And it's like, this is what the NFL had to accept taking on gambling right and allowing dfs and fantasy and you know the, the the culture the betting culture that we have in america 
take place and having the NFL allow it. I was watching a gambling show though um, during Super Bowl week that made a really interesting point. It was this guy um, who has been, I think, in the game for a while. He's an older gentleman, and he was explaining that one of the contingencies was unlike a Bovada or an overseas book, like these overseas books, you can bet on how many penalties are going to be thrown in the game and different things on the refereeing and lines that kind of go with the the calls throughout the game, right? But in Vegas and on DraftKings and FanDuel, you can't bet on stuff like that. And like who will get the most penalties called on them and holdings and stuff like that, which I thought was interesting to try and still keep that integrity of the game, even though the over-under hit right on 47. And the line was either was closing at 46 and a half. You know, it's just like I, he he had brought that up and I'm not articulating it 100 percent correctly. But that that is interesting that there is still an element of um, integrity in the gambling outside of the the point spread and the player props and stuff like that. I, I thought that was an interesting point. I mean, I think we're ignorant to think to ourselves that there will not be a controversy within the next 20 years. You know, we will, is it Billy Donovan? Is that the right name I have right for the NBA, the referee? No, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, don't know, I can't remember. Billy Donovan's, Billy Donovan's the head coach. coach. Yeah. Donahue. Um, Donahue. Donahue sounds right. Uh, Donahue? Uh, Tim Donahue or Donahue. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if it was happening in the NBA before, you know, legalized media sports betting was happening state to state, it will happen in the NFL. And I, I think that's something the NFL has to get ahead of. And I think the easiest way to do that is to pay your refs an absolute obnoxious amount of money. <laughs> no, but seriously, right? Yeah. Like may, give it to them where it's to the point where will you really put in put on the line a million dollar salary? And I don't know what they get paid. If it's a million dollars right now, make it three, make it five. Like do whatever you have to do to save the integrity of the league. Whatever fan duel is paying you, pay take half of it and pay your refs. Yep. And and make this something where you know, the league can market that as well. Listen, we pay them 10 times when any other league pays their refs to guarantee the integrity of the game. I thought the funniest thing this weekend coming out in regards to possible, um, you know, manipulation was actually Reba McIntyre's double um, finishing line to run her national anthem over <laughs> and, and then bet MGM just canceling out all bets and refunding everyone because, you know, there was no official ending and way to say when it ended because she doubled the line. And it's like, that's hilarious. That is absolutely hilarious. It is a, um, not it's what, it's what I'm looking for. It is a rehearsed thing. And she probably knew damn well, like I'm going to mess with everyone here and I'm going to double it up. I thought that was fantastic because that is something that, you know, people enjoy betting on as a prop and, uh, you can't mess up the coin toss in regards to doing that over. So, I think she took it into her own hands to uh, add a little bit of controversy to Sunday's performance. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Um, the prop bets are are hilarious. I unfortunately not a, that much of a degen to to dive into the national anthem or the coin toss isn't as much of a degen. The national anthem that's pushing it. The Gatorade color that one always cracks me up too. Like you're really gonna throw money on the Gatorade color. Um, but all in all successful weekend in vegas i even though i wasn't there obviously talking to you taking it in on tv and throughout radio row and media week that i've been following um you know for all the shows and whatnot that i like i 
I vote for it to be there. Shit, every every three years, maybe every four years, right? Do it, do it every presidential cycle. I, I think there's no reason Vegas shouldn't be involved in the Super Bowl. Ever, no more than four years. It's the perfect spot. It is the entertainment party town uh, in the world, definitely in the United States of America. And from you and I going to Allegiant this year and just the vibes of how easy it is to get to the games, how fun it is inside the stadium, the environment around just a Monday night Packer Raider game when both teams were struggling at the time. I can only imagine how it was for the Super Bowl. And I didn't even say on the strip when I was there for the game we went to. So I, I have nothing but glowing reviews to say for, for the city of Vegas. You know, I, I think it should be Vegas. I think it should be LA. I think it should be New York. I haven't been to a Miami game. So like I can't outright be like, it shouldn't be in Miami. Um, sure. You know, Miami has the nightlife and the hotels that you're looking for. I, I again don't know geographically where the stadium is placed in regards to South Beach and, and kind of that nightlife and that energy, but those four cities, and I get that New York, how could you say New York? It's cold. That's the reason. It's our number one city. It has the hotel space, it has the nightlife, it has the draw from the media. And you know what? Sure, maybe one team has an advantage because they're a cold weather team. Buckle up. Like this is <laughs> this is it. Like you're going to play this game in New York because New York needs to have the Super Bowl. The only side to that is, is you know, you and I have been to Yankee Stadium and and, um, and City Field. Now we didn't go to a game for the Giants or the Jets, and I, I just don't know how far outside of the city that is. Maybe sure. that's a big reason why they they choose not to, because it would be an absolute disaster trying to get everybody in that stadium. And as we saw with ticket prices this weekend, you have to be essentially part of the one percent if not like the upper middle class to dive into a Super Bowl ticket nowadays. And you really don't want 65,000 of those people all trying to get into a stadium at once. That may not be the most convenient, but just my take. I think there are four cities, only four cities. Um, and Green Bay, Wisconsin is not one of those. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Um, MetLife or whatever Jersey, the stadium in Jersey is hosting the final for the World Cup in 26. So I wouldn't be okay. surprised if, that has something to do with putting it more on the map. The only Super Bowl that was ever there was the Seahawks Broncos, the one that the Broncos lost to Seattle by a lot. So we'll see. Um, I, oh, that I was in New York, you. huh? Yeah, that was like the first or second year that stadium was open. Okay. Yeah, so that was the only one that was there. But all in all, I agree with you. Put it in the major metros. Yep. Let's have people have a good time. Um, you know, sorry, Kansas City. Sorry, Atlanta, even. Um we can kind of go through the list of the like smaller, bigger cities. You just, you can't hold a candle to Vegas. Like I, I think that's just, it's just as simple as that, bro. Um, but let's get to the game. Let's talk about it. Obviously Kansas city won third Super Bowl in what was it? Five years, third Super Bowl in five years. They'd gone to four in the last five. Um, obviously we'll get to Mahomes and the legacy and all that. What I want to do is I actually wanted to break down, get a little bit more granular into the games. This is basically the last football game we're going to talk about till September, which is just sad in its own way. But I want to talk a little bit about the Niners missed opportunities. And I think ultimately the, the irony of the Niners losing this game in both of our opinions, I will speak for you here is we thought the Niners should have lost the first two games they won and ended up winning. But this time they should have won the Super Bowl and ended up losing. I think that was just super ironic for their entire playoff run, but it all started on the first drive, man. The first drive they went 
straight to McCaffrey. Five, one, two, three, four, four of the first five plays. They went six yards, 18 yards, 11 yards, 11 yards. McCaffrey fumbles on the 29-yard line. They were poised to score a touchdown, bare minimum get a field goal to set the tone against Kansas City, something that hasn't happened to the Chiefs all playoffs. McCaffrey fumbles. Now Kansas City isn't able to take advantage of that. Um, they go back and forth, exchange a couple um, exchange a couple punts, don't score any points. But the moral of the first quarter, and honestly the first half in total, was that San Francisco could not take advantage of a struggling Kansas City offense. I want to say, Matt, going into halftime, Kansas City had put up less than 100 yards of total offense. And most of it was on a, I think it was a 55-yard bomb. Um, Yeah, 55-yard bomb to McCole Hardman, which Isaiah Pacheco ended up fumbling the next play for Kansas City. Well, and then ensues the, you know, the fury for Kelsey and, and Reed on the sidelines. Right. I think the irony, as you had alluded to when you kind of um, intro to this game, is this may be the first time they didn't rise to the adversity in the playoffs as well. And I don't know if it's just because it was the Super Bowl and they've been here. They've seen how this turns out for them. It's Patrick Mahomes. He seems to be their kryptonite now. Or if it was just simply they couldn't find the rhythm to capitalize. You know, you think about the Green Law injury and what that must have done to the to the team. You've seen a couple of the sound bites, you know, today. I think Fred Warner's, you know, statement was pretty glaring when you when you see what that little video take of him and realizing that his running mate just went down. And to have your best player fumble, right? You have the guy that has been the large reason for you getting here in McCaffrey and finally coughing it up. I can't remember a fumble from him this season. Not saying right. he didn't do it, but in the biggest game, it reminds me when Aaron Jones fumbled a couple of years ago against the Niners and you realize, oh damn, like we are vulnerable. And then ultimately going into halftime with the score in which it was, my first thought was, oh my God, you you let the Chiefs, you let the Chiefs win this game before it was even over. I mean, we'll get there, but this was a game where you had to come out and force Mahomes to throw the ball, to be aggressive, to to you know to find tight windows, and there wasn't really a moment that I saw in this game where he was put in a position where he had no choice but to possibly make a mistake. It was constant rhythm for him, at least in the second half. Yeah, well, I mean, the second half, it was it was constant rhythm after this happened, though. In the second half, Mahomes and the Chiefs get the ball. They're down 10 to 3. Um, Mahomes gets the ball. First play, Pacheco drops a pitch. So they end up losing um almost 10 yards on the on the pitch. Next play, incomplete. Next play, interception. Intercepted. San Francisco gets the ball at the 44. And this is where Shanahan, this is what people are killing Shanahan for. And this is what he's done time and time again in the game with Atlanta when they had Garoppolo and ended up blowing that Super Bowl. Is he goes first down, incomplete pass, next play, penalty, false start, next play, incomplete pass, next play, four yard scramble on a pass. 
they completely abandon the strength of their team. And this is just a common theme in the second half. And then they end up having to punt the ball after getting the ball on the 44-yard line of the Kansas City Chiefs up 10-3 to to start the second half of the Super Bowl, minus Dre Greenlaw, right? Mahomes comes back. They don't do anything. They punt. Next possession for San Francisco, they get the ball on their own 36. They go short pass to Jawan Jennings, short pass to McCaffrey, incomplete punt. Again, three and out. Three straight passes, no rushes to Christian McCaffrey. Then Mahomes finally gets a drive together. They end up getting a 57-yard field goal. Uh, the score is now 10-6. to six. San Francisco gets the ball back again. If you're counting, this is the third possession they get the ball in the second half, right? They finally give McCaffrey a rush, no gain. Then they go incomplete, incomplete. So out of their first nine plays in the second half, they run the ball once and go three and out three times, once having the ball in Kansas City territory. After that punt, Mahomes gets the ball back, and that's when the turning point in the whole game happened because San Francisco defense did their job. They got the three and out, but that's when the muff punt happened. And from that moment, you knew, bro, you knew the second that that ball hit that guy's foot and Ray Ray McLeod Tried to be the hero, picking the ball up, ends up muffing it. Kansas City gets the ball, throws a touchdown. Next play to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I don't know. It wasn't over because obviously San Francisco came back down and scored a touchdown, but you knew when that happened. Those are the plays where you cannot give Mahomes, the Chiefs, this dynasty, free points like that. Well, and it's four big mistakes in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, right? And I say that in regards to the Christian McCaffrey fumble, the turnover and not capitalizing, the Greenlaw injury. And that's, I mean, that's just part of the game, sure, right? Sure. That in itself, you take away the other three mistakes, I don't think we're having this conversation. I think even without Greenlaw, they, they're winning this game. And finally, looking at it and, and looking at the McCaffrey lack of carries and they were undoubtedly the better team. It, and my thought was, this isn't even fair. They have Debo. They have Christian. They have Kittle. They have Ayuk. Oh, my God, what a great drama story that has become. Um, <laughs> on top of the offensive linemen, you know, Instagramming each other. How awesome is it that teammates are already calling each other out? Like, it, it's crumbling already. Um, but, I mean, that's a lot of mistakes. And against the Packers, against the Lions, you can make mistakes like that. You can beat young teams. You can beat teams that don't have this kind of playoff experience with their head coaches and their players. You do this against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, even this Chiefs team can find a victory. And McDuffie, without McDuffie, they're not even in this game, in my opinion. There were a few key players that we've talked about in our story last week that watching them play and be a part of this organization, be a part of this game, were incredible. And also, with that being said, McDuffie almost makes the biggest penalty in the game. It doesn't come back to ultimately cost them the game, but that just also goes to show you can play perfect. And one holding penalty could have been the narrative of how you played in that Super Bowl when it wouldn't have been fair at all. And 
I just think to myself that the Niners probably never had to overcome this kind of adversity when they thought ultimately we finally have the team. We finally have the quarterback and it just didn't happen. Yeah, for sure. And McDuffie did have the hold, but to your point, played the perfect game. The San Francisco 49ers had the ball with 327 left in the game on Kansas City's 40-yard line. They ran the ball with McCaffrey on first down. They completed a, um, a pass on second down and they got to the two minute warning for their third down play. As we know, basically, I think Kansas City had two timeouts at the time. So if they got a first down, the likelihood that they'd be able to run the clock out and set their kicker up who hadn't missed a field goal for the game winner was was high. Right. And that's where insert Trent McDuffie comes in off the side, unblocked, gets in birdies face and knocks the ball down giving Mahomes the opportunity to get the ball back with a minute 53 where they end up tying the game going to overtime. Right. Um, I did want to touch on the IU, the drama. And I think this is where it all starts here to your point of the adversity. And this is where I think, even though it's the third time Shanahan's been in the Super Bowl, he's gone to what three or four NFC championship games. Now two Super Bowls, right. As a head coach, there's still a maturation process that needs to happen with him. I don't know if it will happen though, Matt, because we, I'll try and take my biased Packer fan hat off here. Like I, I really will. And from where I live and being around a lot of Niners fans and my, my personal disdain towards that fan base, the team in general, like I feel like they proved all of us haters kind of right because as I mentioned to you, as we were prepping for this, as we were watching the game texting, like what happened to Shanahan and the Niners and what we're seeing in the downfall and the fallout here the day, two days after the Super Bowl is their arrogance got in the way. Their arrogance got in the way of preparation, communication, and ultimately execution of things throughout the Super Bowl, whether it was the special teams, whether it was their offensive blocking assignments, whether it was even knowing the damn rules for overtime and having a strategy. The fact that you have multiple players coming out in their presser saying, we didn't prep for overtime and I wasn't aware of what our plan was in overtime, and saying that to the press is a problem. And it shows the arrogance and lack of attention to detail that has ultimately cost Kyle now a few times, man. Well... And Andy had this situation in Philadelphia, right? He had yep. four straight NFC championship games, ultimately the fourth winning and moving on to the Super Bowl. And for three years coming into the fourth, it was, oh goodness, can Andy can Andy get it done? Is this an Andy Reid problem? Well, no, it ended up being a personnel problem, right? Insert Terrell Owens, who wasn't there for the fourth run, broke his leg. Which is a story we should document too. What an incredible story that was! <laughs> Coming back seven weeks, I think it was after breaking that leg, um, and they still lost in the Super Bowl. But here we are, right? Reed now has three World Championships with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I don't think we looked back on on the, those Eagles teams and thought to ourselves, "Well, wow, Andy really can't figure out how to run the ball. Um, this is embarrassing." That's what we're saying about Kyle. And I think with your comments about having that Packer bias, it does. It's, it reminds me a lot of, of Coach Mike. And it's like, what are you doing? It's kind of obvious at this <laughs> yeah. point. How many times are you going to cost this team because of a, a lack of aggressiveness to close out a team that you are clearly far superior than? But 
Kyle's also young enough where if he does take this on the chin and, and learns from it, you know, my takeaway you, to you this week was I think he's an incredible schemer. I don't necessarily think he's a great game caller because what we've seen from him as a coordinator and as a head coach is he seems to run into this problem where he will not break away from whatever the game plan was. I would have to imagine this was the game plan coming out of halftime was to throw the ball. And you have to have the ability to trust your staff and have someone override you to have someone say, listen, we've got to run the ball here. You know, you may think Purdy is this, you may think he can operate with these weapons, but now looking back as it's easier, right? Seeing the past as history just didn't work. You can have all the weapons around you. You lost the game. And yet McCaffrey is the best running back in the current NFL. Didn't get the opportunity to close this out. It'll be really interesting to see how the development goes. I think what we're seeing already is it's going to be a great test of how he responds. Having these two offensive linemen at each other is the starting point. Having Juzak come out and talk about openly how he just didn't know the overtime rules. Those are things you cannot have. And I, I credit some of them for being honest, but it's going to cause issues in the locker room next year. You're going to have half the team that's frustrated at the players that were honest and open because you should not be saying those things in the media. Correct. Also, lastly, you need to have an immediate conversation, not like almost like an exit interview with these players before they hit media. Do not say anything that will ultimately lead us to controversy as we go through this offseason, as we are healing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone's devastated, right? Once again, they should have won this game. I'd argue they lost this game more than the Chiefs won it, right? And to your point, there, there needs to be it just it to me it shows the character of the team right it shows the character of the leadership that it's obviously they're a team they love each other I'm not I'm really not trying to dump on them too much but it's just like a, a real team that has everyone's back isn't gonna throw their coach under the bus like that no matter how frustrated you are because you can say whatever you want and Shanahan's come out and defended his decision and what his actual plan was and so on and so forth it doesn't matter the the damage has been done right the the damage you, you can't look at Kyle Juszczyk's interview presser with it without going what you know especially when you get a full explanation from CBS about the rules and then you decide to take the ball first knowing that Mahomes is going to get it second right like I get everything that ended up happening happened but I don't know it, it's just it's just it's a tough look and there is going to be a healing process for the Niners um, fortunately for them, they're not in as big a cap hell as I thought they were. Obviously they have Purdy on this rookie deal for a few more years and they will ultimately be fine going back into next year. But the healing process is going to take time because this loss stings a hundred times more than the loss to Philadelphia last year when Purdy got hurt, right? Because he was the only one that went down now egos and pride is hurt, right? On top of your second best linebacker being injured. With that being said, Matt, it's time to give our flowers to the best player in football, the best player of his generation, top three, top five quarterback of all time, the guy that we're going to be sitting there in five to ten years being like, holy shit, this is our LeBron James to Michael Jordan conversation. It's Mahomes, right? From the point where San Francisco screwed up, muffed that punt, and they score the touchdown, the last three drives 
of the game for Kansas City went 12 plays for five minutes and 36 uh, five minutes and 36 seconds. Got a field goal. They went 11 plays. Um, they went 11 plays, kicked another field goal, and then they won a 13 play drive in overtime, which I wanted to highlight right now to ultimately get the game winning touchdown. And, and this is what separates Mahomes from everybody, literally everybody. There's a lot of great quarterbacks in the league, Matt. There's a lot of great ones. We love Burrow. We love Lamar. We love love, obviously, right? We like Josh Allen, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of guys, but I, I genuinely don't think we have a quarterback that's even close to the clutch level as Patrick Mahomes right now. And I don't mean that as a slight to any of the other guys, to the MVP from this year, Lamar, even our guy Rodgers, right, who we love him as Packer fans. He's done a lot for us. There was never a fucking doubt when he got that ball in overtime that they weren't at least getting a field goal, right? And when it got to fourth and one on Kansas City's 34-yard line, what do they do? They run a quarterback rush to the right with Travis Kelsey lead blocking for Mahomes to get the first down. And that when that happened, I knew it was over. I knew they were scoring a touchdown because that play, that call, the design with Kelsey leading Mahomes, just it, it just embodies what the Chiefs are and what this dynasty is, man. And Patrick Mahomes is the clutchest player in the NFL, completing passes, two of them to Scantling, one to Rasheed Rice, one to Isaiah Pacheco, another 19-yard scramble, and then a pass to Kelsey that I thought was going to go for the touchdown and ultimately winning the game and throwing it to me, Cole Hardman. Out of all players, bro. The absolute clutch gene out of this guy with the bodies he had out there is astounding. Honestly, it is. Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I didn't have as much confidence as you um, because I know this wide receiving core. And you would think in the most important drive of their season, the 49ers would be able to put up a defensive front that would give Mahomes a challenge. And they did, right? The Pacheco rush on his third and one, I think it was, where yep. they stuffed him at the line, right? And it's like, oh, God, you know, Tony even comes on and gives the very ominous, this is the season right here. This is the game. And it's like, oh, God, Tony, don't say that. Um, <laughs> please don't say that because it was Travis and it was Patrick. Pacheco's out there doing everything he can. Rashid Rice had a very nice catch in this game that I thought was you know, fantastic and timely. I mean, Cole wins it for him, but it really was that, you know, I wouldn't even call it an option, that fake option. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was a run, designed run. Designed run, right? And you have Travis out front and and Patrick obviously running for which I think was like almost 15 yards. Was that correct? Yeah, I got, I got it on here uh, 8 yards. Eight felt yards, like okay. 15 though, did for feel, sure. It, it, was, did, it felt like 100. Yeah. It was the nail, right? Yeah. It was the nail in the coffin. In that moment I said, "Okay, he's going to do it himself." Like you kind of knew that coming into this game that with the receiving core that he has, he's going to have to find ways to just make things happen. And that's what I saw in the second half. And disclaimer for you listening, I didn't watch the first half. So when Matt's <laughs> catching all of you up and giving you the details of actually how the drives went, he's doing the same for me because 
I didn't want to watch the first half of this game. I despise the San Francisco 49ers fan base on a core level. And I feel bad for their team coming out of this game. I felt bad for their team in the game as we're talking about this overtime drive because they're watching the best player in the sport drive down with a mediocre receiving core and run for eight yards in the biggest moment of the season and throwing to Miko Hardman on corn dog. Like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's that's the last little piece I want to say here is Andy Reid just does what's necessary. He allows his players to rely on each other. He calls plays that may seem very simplistic, but seem like they always work as well. And he's been in this league for a very long time. He knows what works. He knows what doesn't. He knows how to make adjustments. He knows to come out of halftime and say completely screw the game plan. We're starting over. Whereas some of these younger head coaches, and I put Shanahan in that same category, do not have the same level and time of experience that Andy does. To, to win the game on a play that they have won other games on is unacceptable. I know that you can be expecting any ratio of 20 plays at the end of the game, but that play alone, I would have been running and running and running and running in practice. And losing, Green, um, losing Greenwell is huge. Greenlaw was probably the guy in that play that's screaming at his nickel or screaming at his other linebacker to make sure he pays attention to that fake motion. So I think that's a big piece in this as well. But I want to credit Reed for just the continued success continuing to dominate in the offensive play calling and to put his players in a position to succeed. This to me is one of the greatest accomplishments from a coach because what he did was allow his quarterback to go out and win a game with his tight end and with him. That's basically all they had on offense outside of Pacheco. MVS, yeah, it was a nice touchdown, but God, he sucks. Um, <laughs> Rice might be ready in a couple of years, but he's definitely not ready to be a number one wide receiver. And Mecole Hardman, I swear to God, I thought we'd have to start looking for him in a body bag after last week or two weeks ago here. Um, beautiful story overall. And it was really beautiful to see him catch that ball, to be given Same. the game ball. Um, he deserved it for the time he's put in with his organization and didn't work out in New York, but still got his championship. Yeah, 100%, bro. And um, <clears throat> I really liked a couple of points that you made there. And the last thing I wanted to add to it was th this was, in my opinion, Mahomes' defining moment, right? Their Super Bowl last year, it was, you know, he played fantastic, but there was a stain at the end of it with that with that holding call. You know what I mean? It, it did feel like the Eagles got an opportunity taken away from them last year on that Juju Smith holding call that ended up, they kicked the field goal as clock expired, right? Um, the first year, Mahomes made the play, but he had Tyreek Hill and, you know, Garoppolo honestly just played like shit in the second half and you know there, there was a lot of what ifs and buts and you know we talked about it in the in the story episode last week you know they had the game against tampa where they kind of redefined what this team was and and this drive really in my opinion cemented his his goat status right his his mystique and his aura that he will carry with him throughout the rest of his career and continue to fight for championships with coach Reed and Travis Kelsey. Um, the drive in overtime mimicked Brady's drive against Atlanta, yep. whatever year that was 2017, I don't know, 2016, 2017, whatever year that Super Bowl was. Um, it, it really did where when you, when Brady got the ball against Atlanta in overtime, you knew it was over, man. And it was dink, and dunk 
Pickett, James White, Edelman, James White. Oh, the tight end we've never heard of. Oh, the white receiver that's literally we haven't heard of him since the Super Bowl. Yeah, he's got five. Oh, Hogan. there's White. Well, Hogan, yep. Boom, there's Edelman. And then, yep, bang, touchdown, champs, right? And it was like those guys had zero business winning today, yet there's another one. And that, that was the first time I've ever felt that way about Mahomes. And it's a... Uh, it's a cool feeling, though, as, as a sports fan, as, as, as a guy who does what we do here and talk about sports and legacy and putting stories together and this and that, man, like it's it's special stuff. And it's something we should truly appreciate. And I'm going to try to and take my fan bias out of it because I don't want to treat it the same way um, people treat shit like LeBron, you know, like I, I this is really, really, really special stuff that we're seeing here. Well, no, and I agree with you. And you know, this for me was that cementing moment. I didn't feel the same way as I had said to you that it was without question he was going to score. But I now feel if we're in the situation next year, it's over. It's done. Like he has now proven himself to be the best in the league to stare adversity in the face over and over and over and to come through and to finally beat a team that was truly superior in all aspects other than his role. And maybe head coach. Um, but if you look at the rosters, I think we could go down and down and down and down. We would just be like, check, 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 check for the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you know, this is a long career still, 28 years old. You know, you talked about the numbers um, on a clip that we're going to release this week in, in regards to Brady's uh, difference in years in between his third championship and his fourth. They're going to have to redefine themselves again. I think Ladarius Sneed is probably gone. I think he's proven himself yep. to be a 20. $25 million cornerback, whether you agree with that or not, teams will pay that. So that franchise tag at $19 million will come in really handy if they do tag him. And you know more on that down the road. But this team ultimately is going to get better, in my opinion. They're going to add a couple wide receivers. They're going to have some weapons again. You know We're going to lose Kelsey in a couple of years here, yes. But Mahomes has proven himself to be the guy. Mm -hmm. And it's enjoyable because I, I think the hate and the frustration and the, oh, he's gotten lucky narrative can fall away to just appreciation. And we'll have that side of the of the fan base that just simply hates him. And I get that. That's fine, right? You hate winners. Um, we all like the underdog. But that's what the win was for me. I jumped for joy. First and foremost, because I absolutely will love all the 49er fans that's continued to cry because they don't have a Super Bowl victory in my lifetime that sucks doesn't it 49er fans um sucks that the <laughs> dallas cowboys have a championship before your last one and i think think the time is over for them ultimately the next year is going to be interesting maybe their last real run but a second jump for joy was because pat finally will get the credit he deserves i think the goat status is a little bit too much. For I understand sure. you're not saying it is greatest of all time or greatest of our generation, which I do think is true. But for all the people saying that he is better than Brady, nope. you know, there's a long road. I, a, lot, a lot of work to do. I don't think he needs to win seven. I think he needs to probably win five. Um, and then the arm I, talent argument will probably be enough for me. Well, you know, like because he is a better thrower of the football and improviser. Um but it's also funny thinking that I could have ever made the argument that Aaron Rodgers was better than Tom Brady, seven to one, and now three to one. Like he has now cemented himself for me as number two, probably in history. 
Yeah, I still I I still got to give respect where respect is due to Joe Montana. I I think Joe being four and zero and leading those teams and never losing and I don't think Mahomes will ever pass Brady unless we actually legit see him win ten Super Bowls because Mahomes' biggest problem is he lost is he doesn't Brady. have the he did twice yeah doesn't have the opportunity to go back and beat him right yeah so th- that's and as time goes on you'll forget the fact that. Well, I mean, we won't, but the narrative will forget the fact that their line sucked and they were missing both tackles that night and the game was in Tampa and blah, 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 right? Um, So I I think in football specifically, you still need to pass the threshold of the guys above you and Montana still has more Super Bowls. So in my opinion, he's still there. Now, will you want to get to the talent argument? Sure, 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 right? And, And it's all hearsay because it was the same for Brady, man. Like, Brady wasn't the greatest until he passed Montana, even though he had been to more Super Bowls, but he had lost a couple, right? So um, I think football is different in that sense where, I don't know, the LeBron argument, I don't want to start that at all. The, the difference in the mystique with LeBron is I, I he went to the finals for eight straight fucking years. So like he, he can pass Kobe in my opinion, and I love Kobe. I'm a Kobe guy. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's really fun. And, and going back to the roster thing, you had mentioned it about uh, Snead and some other stuff and that they're going to get better. Think about how many guys are just going to start coming and taking a discount to come play receiver for yeah. this guy. Like Mike Evans, hello, see ya. Hopkins, come on, let's go. Shit, maybe they pay Mike Pittman Jr. The, it's loaded this year in free agency. The draft is loaded with talent. Um they really just need one other guy because I, I really like what I saw from Rasheed Rice. He's just going to grow and get better right on that rookie contract. You don't think guys are going to come in the twilight of their career to go catch passes from the best quarterback in the league, the clutchest quarterback in the league with the best offensive mind. You're out of your mind if you don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think what's interesting too in the conversation of greatest of all time, when you actually start to look at the pairings, and you look at like cross sport pairings. Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson. Kobe Bryant had Phil Jackson. Um, Patrick Mahomes has Andy Reid. Tom Brady had Bill Belichick. Joe Montana had Bill Walsh. Even if you want to throw Dan Marino's name in there, he had Don Shula. LeBron James. Should we list him? Should we I mean, really yeah, list LeBron's Bolstra, coaches? But yeah. But, but yeah, it's not, I mean, not in the same realm. Yeah. And and that's that's just something that stuck out to me, something that we may have to have a discussion on later because the coaches that we just named with those quarterbacks and with LeBron, or excuse me, and with Kobe and with Jordan, those are all uh, top 10 coaches in you know sports history when you really think about them, right? Um, and that means something too. Like that kind of went into the story that we told last week with Veach bringing in Mahomes. Reed bringing in Veach. Like Andy Reed cannot be discounted in this conversation. And totally, if he sticks around for, let's just say, five more years and they can rip off two more, it's going to go down as an incredible story, but also yet another quarterback coach pairing that led to success, that led to Super Bowls. And, you know, look at Peyton Manning. If he had a different coaching carousel, does he have seven? Does he have six? Does Aaron Rodgers have five if things ended up differently with his head coach? But the reality is Patrick Mahomes has Andy Reid. Brock Purdy has Kyle Shanahan. And 
it's just kind of how it goes. Totally, totally. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, Matt and I have a ton of fun, fun, fun content planned for the next month and a half, two months with you guys. So as always, follow us on our socials, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, at PitcherBetPod. Um, we'll be sharing a lot of stuff. Me and him are really trying to get organized and grind some stuff out for you guys. We appreciate all the support, the feedback from all you guys. Seriously, we appreciate you. Um, we'll see you next week.